the sensitive man. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Sensitive Man podcast. I'm Sam Lim, and if you've been following my episodes ever so faithfully, thank you for your support. Well, if this is your first time listening, welcome aboard my show. I promise you that you'll learn something from a medical expert on this episode of the Sensitive Man podcast. It's about vascular and endovascular surgery, which is a relatively new specialty in Singapore. Now, on this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. John Wang, a vascular and general surgeon from Pan Asia Surgery Group. Uh, Asians tend to have uh, varicose veins incidence about 40%. Meaning to say that, you know, most patients who are 40 years old and above, 40% of them will have some varicose veins. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of uh, risk factors that's been associated with varicose veins formation. And you'll learn from Dr. Wang about an operation to connect the artery to the vein system, particularly addressing central vein narrowing or blockages. Now, one of the biggest problems is that for dialysis, it is often initiated with a catheter, mm-hmm. which is a dual lumen or dual channel tube that goes straight into the neck vein and into the heart, which you can connect to the dialysis machine. Mm. Now, catheters are good because you can use it immediately, but they are supremely bad for patients long term, mainly because of the infection and the effect it has on the central veins. So there's this new device uh, called the HeroGraph that specifically addresses central vein narrowing or blockages. And this is what we've managed to bring in into Singapore in 2015 Mm -hmm. uh, for the first implant in Asia-Pacific region. You'll also be able to gain insights to a type of surgery on the aorta, which is a minimally invasive procedure without opening the abdomen. The CERAP procedure is a minimally invasive procedure where we do everything through needle sticks. The advantage of it is that there are no big cuts. Patients recover very quickly. Essentially, they can go home day after or two days after the procedure, they are back uh, to doing what they normally do within a week and usually back to work. Mm. The voice of Dr. John Wang from Pan Asia Surgery Group. Dr. Wang has been practicing the full spectrum of vascular and endovascular surgery. And Dr. Wang plays an active role in the Society for Vascular and Endovascular Surgery Singapore. And he'll share what the society does. All this coming up on the Sensitive Man Podcast. You're listening to The Sensitive Man. I'm Simon Lim. Hi, Dr. Wang. Welcome to my show. Hi, Simon. Now, Dr. Wang, let's educate my listeners by first talking about veins, in particular varicose veins. So why are some people more prone to getting varicose veins? Firstly, it's a very common condition. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also depends on which part of the world you come from. Uh, Asians tend to have uh, varicose veins incidence about 40%, meaning to say that you know most patients who are 40 years old and above, 40% of them will have some varicose veins. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of uh, risk factors that's been associated with varicose veins formation, and they include family history, uh, being female sex, uh, pregnancy or any sort of injury to the vein system, superficial or deep. Mm-hmm. Or any vocations where they require you to stand for prolonged periods of time, such as hairdressers, air stewardess, people in sales. So what are the signs to look out for to determine that one has varicose veins? Most times people complain of how they look. They begin to notice they have bulgy veins or 
spider veins. But other patients also complain of more severe symptoms, for example, leg heaviness, aches, pains, cramps, and they all tend to get worse with prolonged standing or walking. Mm -hmm. Some patients also develop uh, nocturnal or nighttime cramps that wake them up at night. Now, do men get varicose veins or is it more a woman's issue? Yes, men also get varicose veins, although it is more common in women. So men are not immune to varicose veins. Part of the reason is because uh, women see more hormones, progesterone, and pregnancy also tend to make varicose veins worse. Can varicose veins be prevented? Uh, Yes, in many ways, but no in some. Mm -hmm. Uh, We use an international uh, grading system for grading varicose veins called the CEAP classification. And uh, there are different stages of uh, severity of varicose veins. So to prevent mild varicose veins like Mm -hmm. spider veins or reticular veins from getting worse, you want to avoid any sort of prolonged period of time uh, where you stand for long periods of time. Now, this is difficult to do if you're actually in a profession like a teacher. You kind of have to be on your feet. There are things like compression socks that you can wear to prevent uh, varicose veins from forming, especially if you know that you have a family history of varicose veins. And Dr. Wang, can varicose veins go away on their own? They usually don't go away on their own. Uh, and usually I have to make them go away. Now, very occasionally, I hear of patients who develop small varicose veins that disappear after pregnancy. Mm. And these may have regressed with the physiological changes. But usually, if you look hard enough, they are still there. Mm-hmm. I tend to leave those alone because they usually don't require treatment anyway. And what are the treatment options for varicose veins? Mostly, the treatment is either conservative, which is uh, compression socks, or intervention, which is surgery. For surgery, we offer vein ablation for the abnormal or the malfunctioning vein, and we offer also stripping of the big, bulky, ugly veins. Mm -hmm. For the finer blue reticular veins and spider veins, there are treatment options such as injection sclerotherapy or dermal laser photocoagulation to make them go away. You're listening to The Sensitive Man. I'm Simon Lim. Now, Dr. Wang, could you explain the difference between varicose veins and spider veins? Uh, In truth, uh, varicose veins include spider veins, reticular veins, and true varicose veins, which Uh. are the big bulky ones. The correct term for them is chronic venous insufficiency or CVI. People commonly uh, refer to as varicose veins. They actually include the spider veins and reticular veins. So what's the treatment for spider veins? So these are the small, uh, fine uh, red ones that can be treated with injection sclerotherapy. Uh, We use a chemical to damage them so that eventually it will just scar down and disappear. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now that is limited by the size. Very, very small one that uh, we can't get the needle in. They are actually best served with dermal laser photocoagulation. Basically, it's a no-touch technique using laser uh, energy to zap them away. And Dr. Wang, let's talk about deep vein thrombosis. Understand that it's a blood clot that forms in a blood vessel. What actually causes this? Deep vein thrombosis or DVT is never a normal thing. Mm-hmm. It's essentially liquid blood that's turned solid within the vein itself. 
there are a couple of factors that have been identified that can contribute to this. Uh, and one of it is actually stagnation or slowing down of the flow of blood. Now, this can actually lead to uh, pulmonary embolus where the clot breaks off and try and travels to the heart and lungs. And that's the true danger of it. The other reasons why people will get a DVT or deep vein thrombosis is uh, immobility, where they are laid up in hospital, critically ill, uh, obesity, or if you have any sort of conditions where your blood is thicker than normal, things like uh, cancer, even mm-hmm. COVID-19 active infection if you're severely ill. Mm-hmm. So these things all can contribute to a DVT formation. What are the warning signs for deep vein thrombosis? Usually it's a combination of uh, painful, swollen, red limb. So all medical students are taught that if you have the three signs, it is a DVT in the mm. leg until proven otherwise. So most times when you look at it and if you suspect it, uh, you have to think about it and you have to uh, diagnose it with simply with an ultrasound scan. And how is deep vein thrombosis diagnosed at your clinic? So by looking at it, examining uh, the limb and also doing a very simple test uh, with an ultrasound scan, which is a non-invasive, painless and quick scan to look at the veins, uh, and you can actually see whether there's clot within the, the veins itself. Mm-hmm. Dr. Wang, how is deep vein thrombosis treated? Deep vein thrombosis is treated uh, firstly with uh, blood thinning medications. Mm-hmm. And uh, at current time in 2021, the fastest way to thin up a patient's blood is by giving them a low molecular weight heparin, which is administered through uh, an injection, usually in a fat area of the abdomen. Uh, Beyond that, then we will convert the medication to a pill-type medication. Uh, Traditionally, it used to be called Coumadin, but now we have newer agents uh, called Rivaroxaban for it. In very uh, heavy burden clots, uh, groin and the pelvis area, uh, we are sometimes aggressive and we actually use clot buster therapy to try and melt the clot away mm-hmm. so that they don't develop problems like varicose veins in the future or chronic swollen limbs that can be quite debilitating. You're listening to The Sensitive Man. I'm Simon Lim. Dr. Wang, is there anything people can do to prevent themselves from developing deep vein thrombosis? Uh, yes. For the general public who are otherwise healthy, mm-hmm. the most relevant advice is to avoid prolonged periods of inactivity when you're traveling. For example, if you're in a long-haul flight, get up and walk the aisles every hour or so. Mm. Or if it's not possible, there are also stationary leg or feet muscle exercises that you can do to get your venous circulation going. Mm. If you're in a long car ride, make periodic short stops and walk for a bit. Now, Dr. Wang, let's now talk about blockage of veins leading to the heart. And I understand that you're able to perform an operation to connect the artery to the vein system, particularly addressing central vein narrowing or blockages. So could you elaborate more about this in simple terms for the general public, in particular the hero graft? Yes, for patients with kidney failure Mm. and uh, on dialysis, uh, vascular surgeons like myself create arteriovenous fistulas or grafts so that they can connect themselves to the dialysis machine. Mm-hmm. 
Now, one of the biggest problems is that for dialysis, it is often initiated with a catheter, mm-hmm. which is a dual lumen or dual channel tube that goes straight into the neck vein and into the heart, which you can connect to the dialysis machine. Mm. Now, catheters are good because you can use it immediately, but they are supremely bad for patients long term mainly because of the infection and the effect it has on the central veins. When you have central vein blockage, uh, the patient's options for long-term access like arteriovenous fistulas or grafts go away. Mm. So there's this new device uh, called the HeroGraph that specifically addresses central vein narrowing or blockages. And this is what we've managed to bring in into Singapore in 2015 Mm -hmm. uh, for the first implant in Asia-Pacific region. That's wonderful. And Dr. Wang, you're one of the first few surgeons in Singapore to conduct a CRAB. Is that C-E-R-A-B, a type of surgery on the aorta. Now, I hear it's a minimally invasive procedure since there's no opening of the abdomen. So what would be a typical patient to undergo such a surgery? Now, CRAB, which is covered endovascular reconstruction of the aortic bifurcation, is designed specifically to address blockages of the biggest artery of the body mm-hmm. before it splits into the right and left iliac artery that supply the pelvis and also each lower extremity. When patients have blockages in these areas, they suffer from lack of blood flow to the pelvis and also the legs, and mm. they may have difficulties with walking. They will get pain in the buttock, thigh, and calves, mm. and they can have erectile dysfunction if they are male patients. If the blood flow is so poor, you may even see wounds developing in the feet and, and the toes. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, how this problem is fixed is by open operation through the abdomen, uh, which is a big operation so that we can do a bypass to connect the aorta before the blockage Mm -hmm. and to the areas of the vessel, which is patent further down beyond the blockage. This is a big operation that usually takes six hours, has a seven to 10 day hospital stay. It will take the patients two to three months to recover fully. The CIRAP procedure is a minimally invasive procedure where we do everything through needle sticks. And what it is, is we access the arteries at the groin area, gain entry into femoral artery, and get guide wires up to pass through the blockages. And once we're successful, we will essentially build an entire stent system or an internal bypass system within the artery itself. The advantage of it is that there are no big cuts. Patients recover very quickly. Essentially, they can go home day after or two days after the procedure. They are back uh, to doing what they normally do within a week and usually back to work mm, in good. one and two weeks. The Sensitive Man Dr. Wang, vascular and endovascular surgery is a relatively new specialty in Singapore as it's very niche, but I hear that's a growing thing. Now, Dr. Wang, you're part of the Society for Vascular and Endovascular Surgery Singapore. So tell us a bit about what the society does. Yes, uh, vascular has a bit of a ways to go in Singapore and these kind of things usually take time. I moved to Singapore from the US at the end of 2014 and at that stage, Singapore had just formed its first ever Department of Vascular Surgery at Singapore General Hospital mm-hmm. a year prior. 
this is compared to the U.S., where vascular surgery as a subspecialty has had six to seven decades of differentiation in terms of disease understanding, management, and skills. Now, one more with the advent of endovascular or minimally invasive vascular surgery, the treatment paradigm has changed significantly such that the skill set required is very much different to what an open surgery is used to. Basically, you don't want a generalist doing niche work, especially when it comes to something as unforgiving as vascular disease. Mm -hmm. We form the Society for Vascular and Endovascular Surgeons for Singapore, or SVESS, uh, in January 2018, with a representation of 38 practicing vascular surgeons from both the restructured and private hospital side. I'm glad to inform that our membership census now is up to 47. Incidentally, I'm also a treasurer for the vascular surgery chapter of the College of Surgeons Singapore since its inception in November 2017. All of these are very recent. The chapter's role is also for subspecialty representation in the matters of ministry, best practice, legislation, and the medical council. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Wang, for being on my show and for enlightening us so much today. Thank you, Simon. It's been a pleasure. The voice of Dr. John Wang from Pan-Asia Surgery Group on this episode of the Sensitive Man podcast. And you may like to find out more about Pan-Asia Surgery Group via their website. It's www.panasiasurge.com. That's P-A-N for Pan, A-S-I-A for Asia, and S-U-R-G, which is an abbreviation for surgery. So it's www.panasiasurge.com. And you'll find the website link in the text portion of this podcast. I'll also include other relevant social media links for Pan-Asia Surgery Group. Well, whatever it is, it's always wise to seek professional advice from a specialist in that particular medical field. Through a consultation with a surgeon, you'll better understand your medical condition and know the treatment options available. And it's always better to seek treatment early for that improved health condition. You know, there's a famous saying, he who has health has hope, and he who has hope has everything, unquote. This is Simon Lim, and thanks for listening to The Sensitive Man Podcast. The Sensitive Man The Sensitive Man is a production of SPH Radio. I'm Simon Lim, your host and producer for this podcast. Special thanks to Joseph McDade for the music. You can also find this show on iTunes, Google Podcast, and streaming on Google Home. And now you can listen to The Sensitive Man podcast on audio. A-W-E-D-I-O for audio. Visit audio.sg.